It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself, the world with its own needs. Something to your own head, beat it up, and I've seen got no seats. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, the fire, of the gangs, the government for hire in the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury's beating down your neck. Reporter, to jump, the crowd, with that low plane, fine, then up for overflow, five minutes, corners, you put in a little secret, devil, 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 world, in your own knees, see your heart, tell me that the river in the river was the right, you patriotic, patriotic, plan, fight, right, my feeling is pretty It's the end of the world as we know it, it's the end of the world as we know it, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the Hour of Doom. And Bloom! Hey, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a fortress of fairness in a nefarious world. I'm Joe Alden, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 700 posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. I'm a geezer on the go, and I'm going to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster if it kills me. <laughs> what do you think of that? Um... Hopefully it won't. Hopefully. Because I really like you. Oh, I really a like whole you. A whole bunches. Oh, thank you, thank <laughs> you, thank you. And I am Amy Alton. I am a certified nurse midwife and an advanced registered nurse practitioner, and I'm also known as Nurse Amy. That's right, and the hostess with the most is so sweet, I'm missing a tooth or two, and <laughs> it's mostly because she is socks that... me in the mouth sometimes. No, I don't. She's feeling cruel. Don't tell people that. <laughs> That's silly. <laughs> Well, together we are the watchers on the wall, and we watch it all for you to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. That's right. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a mysterious marmot? Our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only, and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. That's right. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the host and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nursing, we strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. That's right. Don't listen to a darn thing we say. Well, that's not exactly what we're saying. <laughs> well, but there, you know what? There might still be a nugget of knowledge you can store in your noggin. Yes. What's up? What's what? What's up, Buttercup? Patriot. Patriot. <laughs> <laughs> we learn as much as you, as much from you, actually, as you do from us. So connect with us. It's easy. Here's the beautiful nurse Amy to tell you how. Well, you can always contact us by email at drbonespodcast. You can find us on Facebook at our awesome group full of wonderful people who like to chit chat and talk to each other, provide advice, make comments. List a problem and let everybody tell you what you can do about it. It is 
Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. And that's our Facebook group, right? Yeah. We also have a couple pages, Doom and Bloom and Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. You can follow us on Twitter, at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, Dr. Bones. Nurse Amy. And I don't think there's any. I think it's just Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy. Right. And our video cast, the first and third Wednesday of every month. You can see us while we're talking. You can chat to us, ask us questions, make Watch comments. Watch us make fools of ourselves. <laughs> Interact with yeah. other people That's who are right. interested. That's right. And it is at aroundthecabin.com. On Wednesdays. Yes. That's right. And I'm, don't forget every- to join the chat room, folks, because... There are prizes given away every week at the end of the show for those who are participating. That's right. But you can just listen in if you want. Yeah, absolutely. You know, some in the preparedness community view the government as an adversary. Well, I'll admit that I have my own opinions as to how well the country is being run. Mm -hmm. Everybody who knows me knows what they are. But you'll be surprised to know that the United States has a pro-preparedness stance. And it has a really valuable website at ready.gov. Ready.gov is officially declared September to be National Preparedness Month. Yay! And September 30th to be National Preparathon Day. Preparathon. That's a tongue twister. The Preparathon. Yes, I have to talk to the public relations people (laughs) there. The declaration states that this year, the U.S. is asking you to take action now. Make a plan with your community, your family, and for your pets. Plan how to stay safe and communicate during disasters that can affect your community. They say that everyone should participate in America's Preparathon and the National Day of Action, which is called National Preparathon Day, which culminates National Preparedness Month on September 30th. Now, you know, we don't get behind everything our politicians do, but we strongly support this initiative. Absolutely. That's right. What can be wrong with asking everyone to get on board and learn how to prepare for your area's disasters or anything that might happen? Absolutely. This is the time when people everywhere should make an account of what they've done to prepare for disasters Mm -hmm. that might loom in the uncertain future. Who knows? That's right. You know, tornadoes can whip up within a few minutes. Right. I mean, with no warning whatsoever. You can be concerned about uh, economic collapse. You can be concerned about the increasingly unstable international situation, or just as you say, the next severe storm. Right. Or wildfires uh, so many things have happened the past few years in any case you have to seriously evaluate how you would fare in the face of disaster that's right that's been said that the average family has about three days worth of food and supplies in their storage and few have really learned the lessons of hurricane katrina from 2005 when many thousands of people found themselves without food clean water or access to emergency medical care Yet disasters happen. Yep. Happen every week, it seems, if you just look at the news. And it's just common sense to have what you need to keep it together, even when everything else falls apart. We encourage you to stock up on non-perishable food, clean water, medical supplies, things that will be essential in the aftermath of a catastrophe. Perhaps you won't be affected by one this year, but what about next year? What about the, during the course of your lifetime or your children's lifetimes? Right. Uh, I'll tell you that odds are not as small as you might think but it's not just about gathering things it's also about learning how to use the items that you buy if you get a generator learn how to use it safely if you get solar panels learn how to use them what can they connect to do you need to attach them to a certain kind of storage unit like a marine battery 
if you have a marine battery, do you know how and which one of the inverters out there, because there are numerous ones, to attach to it? I made a mistake when we were first learning about that. Uh-huh. And I bought an inferior cheap inverter and connected it to the marine battery. Promptly set a small fire in the <laughs> inverter inside my house. Yeah. Big no, mistake. Big, big, big lesson there. Well, you know, that was a... That yeah. was a hassle to drag the marine battery which weighs i don't know 50 pounds at least out of the house with the inverter attached to it i'll tell you that because i couldn't the learning curve couldn't touch the inverter to get it the heck out of the house so i learned that i needed to invest in a much stronger sturdier um and better built inverter well you know so these things you just it's a learning curve. Buy them and That's stick right. them off in the side. So any equipment you buy, please, folks, don't just read the instruction manual and put it away. If there is any possible way for you to utilize it without using it up, um, please practice with these things. Absolutely. Knowledge is super important. Same thing with medical supplies. Don't yeah. just put it up in your the top shelf of your closet. You know, you want to fiddle with it and you want to make sure you know how to use the stuff that's in it. For I mean, sure. emergencies come in many forms. I mean, the droughts, from droughts to floods, blizzards to heat waves, mudslides to meltdowns. Oh, My God, we're having more so and more, much more. Seems like we're having more and more blizzards every year. Absolutely, the winters are getting a little colder. It seems to me, at least in some places. And that will not only that stops you from leaving your house, it stops anyone from getting to your house. So if you call emergency services, of course. We're speaking medical because that's where our brains are. Right. Um, if you can't get to a hospital and they can't get to you, you, you might as well be in the middle of nowhere. True that. Because you're stuck. And then you might not have electricity. And there's so many things. Just a snowstorm can cause. And every year, winter will come. This is why a practical plan to respond to these events mm-hmm. is the responsibility of every citizen. Yep. Indeed, the safety of your family, the welfare of your community depends on it. That's very important to know. Now, this month, I want you to put some effort into developing that plan, obtain the items that will help you implement it. Right. You know, it's time for us to develop a culture of preparedness in the United States, and we should instill it in each generation. I mean, don't do this out of desperation, Mm-mm. fear, or paranoia, the things that... Or last-minute panic. Right, or last panic. Last-minute panic. Right, exactly. We just had a small, a small, very, very small hurricane chance. Right. What was that one called? Tropical Storm Erica. Erica, and with a K. she fizzled out before she even got this. Didn't even... Right. We didn't even get any kind of warnings. But the grocery stores, we had left. We had to go up to Atlanta for a prepper show. But... At just before we left, and it was days before this would have even hit, the store shelves were starting to become empty. And you know why? Because it was last-minute panic buying. These people weren't prepared. They freaked out. And guess what the first thing in that grocery store was empty? Do you bread. remember? I think bread. It was bread, yeah. Hmm. Folks, bread is not a preparedness supply. <laughs> I realize you think you can live off of peanut butter and jelly, for a few days but the bread will eventually go stale and then what are you going to do if there's a serious issue bread is not where you need to put your money so anyway again make a plan think about what you said non-perishable food items right and those are the things you need to think about as far as feeding your family not not loaves of bread (laughs) we have to as, as i said i want people to 
instill this preparedness culture, as I call it, mm -hmm. you know, in every succeeding generation. If we can do this, we'll build a nation that will be resist resilient in the face of adversity. You know, something that our ancestors had, and you know that that we have lost it, at least some of us right. have lost it somewhere along the way, but that doesn't mean we can't get it back. We lost it because we have grocery stores, because we have pharmacies, because there are hospitals all over the place. The convenience of the convenience stores has made us lazy and lazy. Made, it, made us forget that there are situations where it's just not around the corner. You're absolutely right. Now, I practiced living off the grid for a day to see what it would be like for uh, what what it would be like for sure. you and what it was like every day for your great grandparents. And they dealt with it successfully their whole lives. And do that without opening up a loaf of bread that you just bought from the grocery store. Right. If the if these people back then had to eat bread, guess what? They had to get all the they ingredients. To, they had to bake it. They had to mix them. And they had to build the fire. Figure some way to cook it. To cook, to right. bake bread. You can't just put bread. Well, I guess if you use a Dutch oven, then that would work. Mm -hmm. But you know, they had made certain kinds of uh, bread baking cooking areas it That's was right. not just over an open fire right exactly, exactly. almost like those pizza ovens yes that had the bricks yes exactly so i mean these are you might think that baking bread is easy but it isn't the easiest thing in the world you should need to know how to do it and even simple things even simpler things just like getting water I mean, think about where your nearest water source would be if you didn't have water coming to your house. Well, right now... And what it would take for you to take lug it to your home. Right. Well, we're lucky at our house because we have a, a lake and also several ways to filter and purify water. That's right. That's right. These are simple things that we take for granted, but, I mean, these are activities of daily survival that our ancestors knew how to deal with they had or had to deal out. with it. Uh, yeah, they didn't settle a house that were was miles and miles and miles and miles away from freshwater sources. That's right. And they were successful doing all this stuff. I mean, just as they stored food for the winter, you should store some food, some water, some medical supplies for mm -hmm. a disaster. I mean, even a short-term one will empty the market shelves, as Amy told you, make for slim pickings. So have this stuff in your pantry already. And it's just like having an insurance policy. It's there, it gives you comfort, even if you don't want to have to use it. Now, this year, we're going to have uh, different themes for National Preparedness Month. Uh, Ready.gov has put together weekly themes to concentrate on this first week of September. It's flood, it's wildfire the second week, hurricane the third week, power outages after that, and of course, National Preparathon Day on September. 30th and if uh, you don't know what to do to prepare for these things you'll find a number of articles on uh, a lot of the above events uh, and of course our website and medical preparedness in general yeah, at our website at doomandbloom.net but for more information about what our nation wants you to do to get ready for a disaster check out ready.gov Hey, you might notice a little bit of a echo, 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 because <laughs> we are on the road as we often are, and we are broadcasting today from the Florida Keys. Going to do a little fishing, enjoy some fun and sun for a couple of days this Labor Day weekend, and we just can't wait to 
do it however we are committed to putting together our podcast and so here we are we are going to be in a number of other places in the next few weeks oh yeah and we're going to be at prepper camp in saluda north carolina and that's going to be when next weekend <laughs> nope two weekends two weekends from now yes yeah, the two weekend weeks. of september 19th Yep. And uh, it actually starts Friday, so it's the 18, 19, 20. However, tickets are sold out. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so those that are coming, we look forward to meeting you. We right. Got, they only allow a thousand total people there. I yep. understand. We have a couple of classes we're going to be doing. Right. You're going to be doing about becoming a survival medic, and I'm going to talk about emergency survival medical supplies. Awesome. How, awesome topics. What, Good stuff. Where and why. Right. Excellent. Okay. And also, we're going to be. At uh, when next is Houston? Yep, Houston, Houston October third. Right, one day. Okay, it's a one-day event for, put on by the Self Reliance Expo. Four o'clock, suit your class, and immediately following that, we're going to be at the NPS, the National Prepper Survival Expo, mm-hmm. and that's NPS.com, and that is a two-day event. That's October tenth and eleventh, and the morning of the eleventh, we'll be teaching a suture class. So if you're interested in that. Go to the medical classes page at doomandbloom.net and, and after check that, it out. Right. After that, we'll be for a period of time in our home in Gatlinburg, oh, Tennessee. Yay. So we're going to do that. And we'll actually visit uh, Carolina Readiness in Waynesville, North Carolina. Yeah, we'll see Jan. And see Jan and, and the gang over there and uh, sign some books if people are interested. And I think that it'll be a lot of fun so we'll I, be leaf peepers absolutely. is that what they call them leaf, leaf peepers. peepers right so we'll be leaf peepers <laughs> and does it count if we we have a house up there are we still leaf peepers <laughs> i don't know we, <laughs> i think what, we are what are we part-time leaf peepers <laughs> there perhaps? you go All right. that's it <laughs> well you know we're going to talk a little bit about survival medicine but i want to talk about the survival medic for a bit now in a long-term survival situation it's going to be the an extremely fortunate family or group that has a physician or other formally trained medical professional among its members now when there is no doctor someone in your group has to be assigned the group medic responsibilities mm-hmm. that person will make the difference between success and failure for a community under duress now some people feel that becoming a healthcare provider is a pretty daunting task and it certainly will be a challenge to accumulate the adequate supplies and obtain the knowledge necessary to help those in medical need in the uncertain future. Now, those who will step up and take responsibility for the medical well-being of their loved ones will be very special individuals, and they're going to have a special mission. Now, if you've been chosen to pick up the flag, your first assignment is to get your training. Some of it will be book learning. Some of it will be hands-on. The more you learn, the better off you are. Start off by learning some basic first aid. Take one of the classes at your, your municipality. Most municipalities do this. Put on and have a good book on family medicine in your library. A good initial approach is to learn some anatomy, some physiology. Anatomy is the blueprint of the body. Physiology is the operating manual. The most popular anatomy book, I guess, with first-year medical students is Gray's Anatomy. It's pretty, a pretty comprehensive book, something interesting that you might want in your library. Now, with a working knowledge of these two subjects, you're gonna be in a better position to understand disease and injury. Now, you'll need an ample supply of medicines. We're fortunate that many drugs can be obtained in quantity, at least right now. You'll need plenty of them if you're gonna be taking care of an extended family or perhaps even have a community that depends on you. Bandages, antiseptics, splints, other other items, they're gonna come in pretty darn handy. You should have lots in your medical storage. 
Now, don't forget alternative disciplines such as herbalism. When the commercial medicines run out, you're going to have to have a good base of knowledge about the plants in your backyard that might have medicinal benefits. Many times, a medic can even cultivate your favorite herbs specifically for the purpose of having them available for medical use in times of trouble. Don't be afraid to improvise too. You can cut old sheets into blankets, into bandages. You can sterilize them even with heat from an iron or steam from a pressure cooker. Duct tape makes reasonable butterfly dressings. A pillow and some duct tape will give support to a sprain. A bandana and a stick could become a working tourniquet to stop bleeding. So the most important asset needed to become a competent healthcare provider for your group, however, is just having some common sense, good old common sense. A sensible person with good medical supplies, a few books, and the time and willingness to learn will be an effective, maybe even a precious medical resource. It helps to have also, by the way, if you're going to be the medic, to have a calm demeanor. As sick and injured people take strength from a focused and level-headed caregiver. Uh, another useful attribute of a good medic is dedication to teach other members some of the skills that they learned. One person can't be everywhere at once, right? I mean, basics aren't that hard to teach. So cross-training. Cross-training is important. The medic may one day need a medic. So once you have the skills, share them. Confidentiality is another important factor for success as a medical resource. You'll have to interview your group members so that you have all the information you need to keep them healthy. Sometimes that information includes things that your patient doesn't want to be made public. Never disclose anything that would make others see you as untrustworthy. If you don't have the trust of the community you serve, your effectiveness drops significantly. There's one last essential characteristic of the successful medic, and that's self-preservation. That might sound strange to you, but you are an indispensable resource to your entire group. If you place yourself frequently in harm's way, you're eventually going to find yourself as the patient more often than you or anyone else would like. Always assess the scene of an injury to make sure that you can care for the victim without placing yourself in undue danger. You have to abolish all threats. If someone has a gunshot wound, it stands to reason there's a guy with a gun out there. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. <laughs> So always remember that you do a disservice to your survival community by becoming the next casualty. Okay, bear with me for a minute to get a little housekeeping out of the way before okay. we talk about other stuff. I have a question. That is, are you ready to handle medical issues in times of trouble? <laughs> well, what should you do? What should you do? Get a copy of our Amazon bestseller, The Survival Medicine Handbook, and you'll get a head start in any disaster or epidemic. You'll get all sorts of important tips that'll help you keep your family healthy in a disaster. And it's all in plain English. Not Klingon. <laughs> Imagine that. Put old Dr. Bones and me, Nurse Amy, in your survival library. Head to Amazon.com or get a copy personally autographed by us to go in your library. You can get that from our website at store.doomandbloom.net. Now, for those of you who have kept our book on the most wished-for list on Amazon these last two years, this week, the shorter, less expensive, abridged version of our book published by Skyhorse Publishing called The Ultimate Survival Medicine Guide is now available. So if, we're, if the Survival Medicine Handbook is too pricey for you, you can get a shortened copy 
for a little less money. It's also portable. Right. Also a little bit portable. Also on Amazon. <laughs> a little more portable than the other one. The other one's a, a lot of information. And this is has a lot of information too. Now don't forget that Nurse Amy has put together a pretty awesome line of medical kits for times of trouble as well as individual items. Check them out at store.doomandbloom.net. Hey, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about what's in the news. And of course, this week in the news, tens of thousands of Syrian Muslim refugees are invading areas of Europe that the Ottoman Empire invaded hundreds of years ago, trying to escape the turmoil that has racked Syria for the last few years. Now, these refugees are seeking asylum in nations like Germany and Austria that are traditionally Christian, as the Hungarian prime minister has made it clear that they're not welcome in Budapest and the rest of the country, this is a country that was conquered by Muslims and was under their control for more than 150 years. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I don't think a lot of people understand the history of these countries and how control has changed and what religion was under control for how long and the suffering that may have occurred during that ruling. And, you know, it's it's hard for some people to forget their history. And right. They're not just going to say, oh, sure, no problem. Come on in. Exactly. Because so. what I think that they are probably afraid of is that the population becomes too high of the Muslim faith, then Budapest could be taken over again. Or, well, that's you know, what I'm saying. Area. Right. So I mentioned this story for a couple of reasons. That's I mean, one Hungary of them. is, you know, they know their history, and, and this is why they're acting as, as they are. And I don't think that the news is explaining it as well as you are. So well, I appreciate the history lesson and as well, I'm sure other listeners do also. Well, the Hungarian leader, by the way, is being criticized for wanting to keep his country mostly Christian, right. saying that they suffered under the Muslim yoke and that Europe should retain its Christian culture. Right. And certainly diversity hasn't helped the Christian identity in countries that were traditionally so. Mm -hmm. And our trips to Europe and recent events are certainly revealing things to be less secure than in the past. Oh, yeah. Uh, this concern isn't necessarily related only to religion, but it certainly appears to be a factor. How strongly should Christians hold on? Ask, well, ask to find that out. Just ask ISIS what their plans are for Christians. Well, I think that's probably murdering every single one that they could possibly find. Man, woman, or child. So the truth of the matter is, is that maybe we should be a little protective about 2,000 years of Christianity. I mean, nobody else is, so I think we have to step up to, up to the plate. Now, the second reason I mentioned this migrant story is from a survival standpoint. What would you do if thousands of people showed up on your doorstep? I mean, what what's that can't happen in America? Well, I hate to say it, but it happens regularly at our southern border. It happened in 1980 when Fidel Castro opened up his prisons and sent whoever wanted to leave Cuba to Miami. Mm -hmm. I know I cared for these refugees and converted positive for tuberculosis for my efforts. Crime and murders skyrocketed in South Florida oh, for the boy. next few years. Oh, they sure did. So what are you going to do? Are you going to absorb these people in the uncertain future? We've been doing that for 200 years in this country. It's worked pretty well, generally speaking. But when will we reach critical mass and be unable to support them with all the entitlements to social programs that now exist? 100 years ago, it was mostly sink or swim if you were going to make it in the new world. But now we're taking from our citizens to support an ever-growing number of immigrants from all over. Now, don't get me wrong. Most of our ancestors weren't born in this country. 
but they didn't get to take advantage of all the perks of the welfare state. Through hard work and loyalty to their new country, they proved their worth and deserved to live the American dream. Or all the waves that today invade our borders, or that will do so in the future, come for freedom or come for the free ride that U.S. citizens are paying for through their tax dollars? Will they fight if the U.S. was under fire? If good, I see a refugee with question. yes, very good I, question. If I see a refugee with a medical issue in a survival setting, I will stop and help. That's my personal decision. But will you? What about the healthy but hungry people that'll appear at your doorstep? You'll have some tough decisions to make, and most people aren't hard-hearted. Therefore, you got to look closely to whether your supplies can support more than who you expect to take care of. The truth is, you'll probably be dealing with more people, maybe a lot more, than you think you will. And you better be ready. And I think that's true because I believe in human kindness. And I think despite the tough talk of a lot of, of preppers, the deep down, the softy inside of us are going to be a lot more charitable than we claim to be because you say, well, I'm the one who prepped and I've got all these things and those other people didn't prep and so they're going to be punished. But when they show up and they've got the six-month-old child and the, the six-year-old child and the 16-year-old child and they're a family, it, I, I don't think that I will be able to turn them away as much as I would love to profess that I'm going to be tough and I'm going to be strong and I'm going to, you know, keep our storage for us because we're the ones who have taken the time and the effort to learn how to use them, to put them away. I, I you know, if I've got to be honest with myself, I am a softy deep down. I've got a, a hard shell sometimes, but deep down inside, um, I'm just kind of mushy, and I think most sort of like a lobster. <laughs> so you, you see, so you think am, you may be part lobster. I am. I'm probably, but you know what? I think I think a lot of preppers are lobsters. I think we all put on this facade of of toughness, and and you know, I'm going to turn away that family. I'm going to turn away my my brother and his ridiculous family who lives hand to mouth every week and hasn't stored anything but a bag of Doritos. Mm, Doritos. <laughs> you know, they're just going to have to starve or, you know, the 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 people down the street who I've talked to a million times and they're not listening to me. They're just going to have to starve. I highly doubt when their pathetic starving faces come to you with tears in their eyes begging for help. There's very few people in this world who are actually going to be able to say no. So therefore, folks, you need to prepare for a lot more people than a just living under your household we're all going to have to help our communities because if you don't help your communities and you don't help the people down the street there's going to be nobody to farm there's going to be nobody to fix things nobody to you know have any other knowledge than, than what your family members have so we are going to have to help other people who don't get it right now but when they do wake up and they get it and it's too late you're the one who's going to have to step in because we can't just let everyone die. It's not, we can't do it. So there's going to have to be a balance. If you think they're bad people, give them a little something and turn them the heck away. But if you sincerely think that they're good natured people and they just lived in their little bubble, like we see people all the time, good people live in bubbles. Good people are not preppers. 
but they may wake up one day and say, oh my gosh, I made such a mistake. I am so sorry. You were right. And please, I'll do anything. I'll, I'll, I'll plant food. I'll fix things. I'll, I'll make some clothing. I know how to sew. You're going to have to be charitable. You so never know get has, the extra food. You never know who has a skill that you might That's be able right. to you know, take, we, adv- take advantage of. Or something they might learn. It's it, you know They may say, I, listen, I'm an accountant. I don't know how to do anything with my hands, but I can learn. I've got a strong back. I can learn to do anything. So even though people might not be able to contribute something, standing at your doorstep, it doesn't mean they're incapable of learning some skill that you might be able to to give them and then they are the productive person with the skills but the bottom line is that you are going to have to make these tough 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 choices so tough if you can turn them away then do so just remember that they'll they'll know (sighs) that you turned them away and they'll be and they'll know and they'll know that you have food all i can say and they'll be coming for you if, if they can all i can say is i pray that these decisions never have to be made by by anyone ever absolutely all right well we are going to take a break you're listening to the survival medicine hour with the lovely nurse amy and that old goat dr bones we'll be right back I hope you enjoyed that musical interlude. It was very nice. And you are listening to... The Survival Medicine Hour with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Or Joseph Alton, MD, and Amy Alton, ARNP. You know, I've been reading about theories that exposing kids to things in their very young age Mm -hmm. might decrease the chances they have allergies. I think we've talked about peanuts once. in the past. Yes. And and sure enough, there is some new research that I just came upon. Uh And and strange as it might seem, research has found that the less sterile a place that we grow up in as children, Uh the more protection that we may have against developing allergies such as asthma. Now, what isn't really known, though, is why. Now, according to a new study published in the journal Science, Uh, Part of the reason might involve the relationships between our genetic makeup Mm -hmm. and the microbes, the 
bacteria and microorganisms that we're exposed to. All around us when we're young. That's right. Now, researchers have found that exposing mice to low levels of an endotoxin, a common component of certain bacteria mm -hmm. for a couple of weeks, caused them to become less likely to develop features of asthma when in the presence of dust mites and other kinds of uh, debris compared to a control group. Now, the authors of this study believe that this happened because the endotoxin, because of this particular debris, reduced the overall reactivity of the immune system. Now, that in, what that means is that it in turn prevented the body from turning against itself and developing a response to common things that cause allergies, like dust mites, certain foods, and things like that. So this endotoxin exposure right. sounds like a great thing. I think but, I need some exposure to this endotoxin. But the problem, there's a problem. Oh, it, no. And that is when the researchers took a closer look, uh -huh. they found this protective effect was only seen in mice whose genes possessed the ability to produce a certain chemical in their lungs uh -huh. called A20. A is for A for apple 20. Mm -hmm. In mice who didn't, this beneficial effect did not occur. Oh. As further evidence, when the researchers conducted the same type of experiment with human lung cells taken from both healthy and asthmatic individuals, they found that the healthy cells with higher A20 levels produced less of an inflammatory response commonly linked to allergies than did asthmatic cells, which had low A20. A20. Okay. So are asthmatics deficient in this chemical. I think I need to take A20. <laughs> Honey, can you write me a prescription for it's A20? It's a good thing to have. The only problem is that you may have to have it in your DNA. Yeah. But they found that environments like farms that were filled with livestock, pet owning homes, mm -hmm. uh, are these places are known to harbor levels of endotoxin uh, in the air mm -hmm. along with other microbial debris okay so wait a second so now i get to blame my mom yeah. for not letting us have pets there that's what happened she didn't want to have pets because she didn't want to clean up after them and guess what i grew up with all kinds of allergies well of and course, i still have them really 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 bad now that allergic debris that's in the air i mean it can cause people trouble in high enough doses but uh -huh. in low doses it appears to sort of calibrate our immune systems to be able to tell the difference between dangerous foreign substances and their harmless counterparts. You just have to have the right genetic machinery, such as the A20 enzyme. So that's what I really need is the A20 enzyme. No, right. I, I do want to correct it. It's not that we didn't have animals. We just weren't allowed to have cats and dogs in the house. We did have, we actually had a skunk for a while, wow. believe it or not. Yes, we did. It was de-skunked. <laughs> de, you know, it had its odor glands removed, but oh, it still smelled a little bit. I'll bet. We probably, I think we had a turtle once. I don't think we ever had fish when I was younger. I can't remember what else we had, but... So we did a, have cats and dogs, but they you were certainly have outside. Had a lifetime's worth of fish since. Well, now, <laughs> yeah, since, since, since my honey here who loves raising tropical fish we've had all kinds of fish we still have fish but the cats and dogs were not allowed in the house mm -hmm. we had them and thankfully most of my childhood we lived in georgia so the cats and dogs were very very happy to be outside and the cats brought us presents they would bring us little mice but mm -hmm. they weren't allowed to be inside so hmm 
So how about that? May have caused some asthmatic problems with me. Very interesting. Well, you know, the authors noted that other research has found a correlation between farm-dwelling people mm -hmm. who actually possess a weaker version of the A20 gene, but they, they're farmers or they live in, on farms. Right. And they have a higher allergy rate if they have the weaker version of the A20 gene. Uh -huh. So those people, even though they live on farms, they could still have a lot of allergies. So you've got to have that A20 gene. Right. So the bottom line so is... So it's the, a two thing. It's an A, you've got to have the A20 gene mm -hmm. and you have to have exposure. Right. You ha it's a two-fold step. Right. And the exposure can't be... I mean, in other words, you can't raise your children in a chicken coop. Or, you know, or with, or like one of those factories. old cat ladies. I, right. I apologize to old cat ladies, but I mean, <laughs> I'm talking about the women that have like 30 to 50 or more cats. Yes, I know. You can't raise your child in a house like that. Absolutely. The study's findings <laughs> suggest that one way to target allergies in the future might require tweaking your kids' oh, genes. No, 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 no. Oh my gosh. No, no. Lucky us, huh? No, no. Don't tweak anybody's genes. Please, dear Lord, do not tweak any baby's genes that just horrifies me i think that's going to happen oh it horrifies that's going to be in happening in the future monster children well we'll see i want my child to be uh five foot ten um red hair sounds great how about uh one blue and one brown eye <laughs> and I want it to be left-handed because I'm left-handed and that'll make it easier for me to teach the child. Um, let's see, a size 10 shoes because it's much easier to buy size 10. I mean, w where does it stop? It doesn't. This gene tweaking. It, it oh, moves on. It you know, moves on and, and, I, on and, and on. I want it to have smaller ears and, oh, I want the hair to be uh, curly because curly hair is great. I mean, what are the parents going to be mm -hmm. able to do to this child? It's like, is it going to be like a shopping list? Yep, pretty much. Do you want much. this? Do you want this? Do you want this? Do you want? I mean, it's insane. It's pretty amazing. It's it is pretty amazing. There's well, be no mystery to how your child comes out. No, please. Well, hopefully, monster children. Well, hopefully you have normal kids Ugh. right now. And if you are, I do have normal kids. Good. Let them have some faults. Everyone and, needs faults. Everyone has faults. If you if you don't have faults, you're not human. Okay, you're right. not human. You're a robot. You're machine made. Your artificial intelligence and every single human on this earth, no matter how perfect they may appear, they all have faults inside and outside. All of us. It's just human. None of us are perfect. And that's great. We shouldn't be perfect. That's right. That's right. So anyhow, speaking of kids, <laughs> if you're a lone prepper who's wondering how to get those kids and the rest of the family on the preparedness bandwagon, we've designed a fun new board game called Doom and Bloom Survival that will get those surly teens and tweens to put those smartphones down for a little while and get together for an entertaining and challenging family game night. Check the game out at survivalboardgame.com or buy the game online. Uh, and at that website and get a survival medicine dvd as well as our gift so anyhow check that out and see if you can get those kids those non-genetically modified kids <laughs> right i hope non-gmo kids that's oh that's how we should make t-shirts i'm a non-gmo <laughs> human there you go <laughs> All right, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about something I haven't talked about in a while, and that is, that's eye issues in times of trouble. Now, by listening to this podcast, the nice folks in our audience demonstrate that they have excellent foresight. Unfortunately, that doesn't mean that they have excellent 
Eyesight. Eyesight. Aha. Ask anyone on the street which of the five senses that they would least be willing to sacrifice, and they'll probably tell you that their vision is the sense that they would most want to preserve. How about you? Uh, eyesight first, hearing second. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously they're closely related. It's hard to speak to somebody or, or, or right. understand somebody if you can't hear yeah, them. Hard to communicate with. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. I could always use sign language, but I think losing my, my hearing would be very difficult. So I would put eyesight first, then hearing, um, then touch, because, of course, I love to hug you. Oh, boy. Smell would be down there because I love to smell you. And then the last what? thing is taste. Enough of this lovey, though. I'm talking about survival. I'm not talking about I know Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> And then if I have a sixth sense for my spidey sense, then I would want to keep that one. <laughs> Absolutely, the sixth sense. Well, anyhow, so that pretty much is why I think everybody would say, just would probably be even in that order, human beings aren't perfect, then you know one of our most common imperfections is that of being nearsighted or farsighted. Mm-hmm. The nearsightedness is known as myopia, and farsightedness is known as hyperopia. Uh, old folk vision is known as presbyopia now most of us correct our eye issues with eyeglasses or contact lenses now in a true disaster setting these vision aids become really more precious than gold but most people haven't made provision for multiple i don't mean a replacement pair but multiple replacement pairs of sunglass of eyeglasses and for many many contact lenses or or even considering going back to eyeglasses from contact lenses I mean, imagine what would happen in a survival setting if your contact lenses dried out or if one of your kids stepped on your glasses. Man, I can't think of anything scary no. to being on your own and not being able to Back see. Ups. That's Back horrible. Ups. Yeah, absolutely. Having a few pairs of reading glasses in your storage will be helpful. Very, very helpful. And it's important to realize that neither contact lenses nor eyeglasses are going to be manufactured in a true, you know, collapse absolutely and also remember have all you need yeah and also remember that your your vision will change over time we both had our eyes corrected i actually had 2015 vision and i still do but i can't see my hand anymore i've yeah, lost the near side i can see I'm like, I'm like a hawk i can see far 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 away but my hand has become fuzzy so now i'm having to wear the reading glasses. Right. Well, those are very cheap. You can get three pairs for like nine bucks, right? Absolutely. Costco, baby. <laughs> so have some of those for when you get older, even if you're not there yet. If you're in the, And that's what I'm trying to say. Prepare for the future. Realize that your eyes are going to age. Things are going to change. High blood pressure causes vision problems. Diabetes causes vision problems. So if you wind up with some health problems you didn't expect, that could also lead to some issues with eyesight's. Uh, you know, we, we had the surgery, we had our eyes corrected, and right. now they've changed it all. You actually had one eye corrected so that you could see the computer, and you left the other one so you could see far away. Right. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, many times in the past, I've mentioned that you should deal with your medical issues before a disaster occurs. Right. And bad eyesight, I think, is one of those issues. I mean, one one option that people don't consider, and they should, is maybe having their eyesight corrected with LASIK surgery. Yep. LASIK surgery uses uh, pinpoint lasers to change the shape of 
the cells in the back of your eye called the retina, mm -hmm. so that you're less nearsighted or, or farsighted. It's been routinely available for years, one of the safest surgical procedures in existence, and actually is relatively cheap compared to pretty much any other kind of surgery. Right. Now, the LASIK procedure uh, for both eyes takes less than about 10 minutes from beginning to end, uh, from the second you step in the chair until the second you leave. And the actual laser part of it takes seconds. I, I think one of my eye was seven seconds and the other one was like 10. Right, absolutely. And that's it. It's finished. Right, and your eyesight improves almost immediately. There's usually no downtime. I personally was able to do surgery the day you after did. the you surgery. You did surgery right. the next morning. And, and well, they had special instructions for you that they don't have anymore. You actually needed to keep your eyes closed, remember? Right. Overnight, really right, we don't have to do. But that now much today, it's not like that at all. But I, I do want to say again, even if you've had the surgery and corrected your eyes, if you're young enough, when you get older, when you get closer to fifty, or or a little bit older, you're going to have problems with reading. So you're still going to have to stock up on those reading glasses. That's right. If you're 38 years old and you happen. expect to be a successful survivalist. Right. person or a successful person who weathers uh, a long-term survival, you're going to hit 50 at one day. I just wanted to make sure that people understand just because you've had your eyes corrected, again, especially if you're in your 30s and 40s or even younger, your eyes are still going to age. You're still going to have the reading glasses problem. It doesn't give you perfect vision for the entire rest of your life so get a bunch of them they're cheap and they'll be awesome barter items i think i just wanted to say recovery from the lasik procedure is a piece of cake mm -hmm. i told you i did surgery afterwards at most yep. you might feel the sensation of a grain of sand in your eyes for a day or two uh you know maybe the procedure you know isn't cheap enough for you if you you look at your your bank account uh but but, it, but your, isn't that expensive? Where else can you get such a tangible benefit? But also, Perfect vision from know, an investment. I know, but also add up all the... Can you imagine the cost that you and I have added up if we would have continued to wear contacts and have... You got, you still, if you have contacts, you still have to have spare glasses. Right. Always. You cannot be without spare glasses because stuff happens to contacts. It's true. They dry up. They fall out. You can't find them. You run out of your prescription. Your eye doctor won't give you more. He's closed when you lose it. You always have to have at least, you should always have two pairs of spare glasses. So you still have that investment. But can you imagine the money that we've saved on glasses and contacts? I know. It's... Uh... For... When you got yours done in 90... Four. Uh, 97, 97. Yeah, 97. And I got mine done about two years later. So mine was around 99. So, I mean, years and years. So, But you still have to go to your <coughs> eye doctor. It's important to still have regular eye checkups. I don't want you guys to think you're going to get out of doing that. You still need your eyes checked because there are other problems that can occur. All right. Well, let me talk a little bit more about eye. Let me talk a little bit about eye protection. Ooh, good you know idea. what? I mean, this is something that people don't think about. I mean, most of us with perfect vision are going to be negligent about wearing eye protection when they chop wood or do other chores that are likely to be part of normal off-grid living. Right. And with eye, without eye protection, the risk of injury when you're performing these strenuous tasks are going to be much, much greater. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's talk. Uh, I, that's 
goggles, let's say, or something. It's just something that protects your eyes. But, Any, and anyone who's gone to a gun range understands right. eye protection. Right. But let's talk a little bit also about sunglasses. Now, sunglasses aren't just for looking cool. Even if you're taking <laughs> an ice, a hike outdoors, you know, just taking a or hike. Or skiing. Sunglasses. Anything in the snow. Should be a standard item. You know, ultraviolet light causes over time damage to the cells in the retina. That leads to a clouding over of your eyes. Lenses, these the, these are called cataracts. This condition can only be repaired by surgery. It's certainly not going to be available in a collapse setting. So protection from ultraviolet light is going to help prevent this long-term damage. So better wear some shades. Also, in cold weather conditions, especially snowing conditions, failure to wear sunglasses can cause a type of vision loss known as snow blindness. The snow blindness is painful. It's dangerous in the wilderness but usually, luckily, will go away on its own if you patch the eyes. The problem is you're going to be sitting in the wilderness with your eyes patched. Bad, bad news. Mm -hmm. The truth of the matter... Wow, we're out of time, but you want to know something? We're going to talk next week about eye infections. Good idea. Other, other things like that. But I want to thank everybody for listening in. You have been listening to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour with... Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And we hope to see you soon in a future podcast yeah next week hopefully <laughs> have a good one you've been listening to the doom and bloom hour with medical preparedness experts dr bones and nurse amy check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine gardening natural remedies medical supplies and lots of other good stuff Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.